Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome back. It's another episode of the State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I am your host, Jason Carapesi. I have a co-host. His name is... Paul Gillieri. Hello. How are you today? I am doing very well, Jason. How are you this evening? I'm all right. We've had some lovely weather recently. It was hot yeah. last week and now it's not and I'm feeling all right. Feeling all right. And we, we've had the... It's not June gloom, but there's been a nice breeze that kind of cuts through everything. Dude. I don't want to go on a tangent here, but you just brought something up. So we have one of those canopies that you can buy at like, you know, Walmart or Costco or something like that. You know, you uh-huh. bring them up for tailgates or whatever. And one day, it uh, there was a large gust of wind and it, it was, it blew it like almost out of my yard. Yeah. It blew it up into the bushes, half into the neighbor's yard. And I had to like try Did and- Did you have it. to go up in your tree? Uh, well, I was scraping the sky. Let's just All right. Hey. <laughs> uh, the boughs were breaking. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I, um, see, we're topical. We are. But anywho, so it's up there in the bush and I'm already pissed because this thing, we've had it out for like three months. And so the sun just wears on it and wears on it. And so the, the vinyl becomes really kind of flimsy and fragile and brittle. And so it, um, I'm trying to yank it down and it's tearing and the legs are getting caught in the bush. And I'm like, I'm just so pissed. I finally get it down and it's completely destroyed at this point. And so I go into, I go, I have to break it down to try and get into the trash bin. You know how difficult that can be. So it's metal. So I, what do I do? I, I go into the garage and grab myself with a softball bat and beat the living hell out of it. Oh. <laughs> it was... Oh, what are, you know those rooms you can get? Chronicles of Quarantine with Jason (laughs) Carapace. You know those those rooms that you can pay to go into? There's like, you know, China and glassware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's funny you bring that up. Like, uh, my wife's a big fan of that show, Working Moms on Netflix. Oh, yeah, so is Andrea. Right, so there's a scene where one of the moms, the husband arranges this. I think it was like her birthday gift. And she's like, what's going on here? And then suddenly he just hands her a baseball bat and they just go to town on this porcelain. And just uh, she looks at me and she goes, yeah, that doesn't sound like fun to me. You know, uh, it sounds like fun to me. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I pretty much got whatever frustration I had in that day was taken out on that stupid tent. But anyways, I don't even know how. Oh, yeah, the weather. (laughs) Yeah. Not the weather conversation devolve into that. But for those who don't know, Jason and I live in lovely Los Angeles. And uh, we have been enjoying a rather temperate June yes, so far. But so. gusty. Gusty, yeah. if I may. Anyway, thanks for being with us, guys. And uh, don't forget, you know, if you want to, go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever people rate these things. It would be super of you to give us like a five-star review and – write great things about Paul. You can write nasty things about me. That's fine. But, <laughs> you know, that'd be cool. Just help us out a little bit. Five-star review. Subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again. Apparently that works. So just yeah, keep going I, back yeah, and I, forth. I, that would be super, I, guys. <laughs> now that's out of the way. The pleasantries and whatnot in my tent story. Uh, this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the fan club. And we're going to talk about, more specifically, the fan club single And as many of you know, the fan club single is uh, not happening anymore. There was an article, a press release done at the very end of 2018, beginning of 2019, that said, no more. This is it. And like many of you, uh, we didn't actually get 2017 or 2018 until much later. I think it was, I think they gave us the downloads in, in like February or March or something like that. And then uh, I think the, the vinyls went out a little bit later. I had completely forgotten about it. But anyway, uh, that's when that's when it kind of hit me like, oh my God, there's no more of this. And it made me think, well, you know, what are the best of all time? Because some of them are weaker than others and some of them have some classic songs, originals, covers, whatever. Let's just go on the list. You know, what are our top five 
fan club singles. Okay. And I think we shall start with you, my friend. All right. So uh, we're going in descending order here, going from five to one. Um, I have an honorable mention, though, and uh, that honorable mention comes from 2015, uh, primarily bolstered by uh, the covers Wishing Well and Redemption Song. Uh, Wishing Well to me, it's just, it, it's a great cut of a, of a free song. It's a cover and uh, fantastic classic rock song. And Pearl Jam is perfectly suited to execute a track like this. And so I, I really enjoyed that cover. Uh, the reason why this album for me is not in my top five is because I, I really, I don't want covers. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a, a fan club single you wait all year for this i can get covers especially in 2015 i mean i could buy bootlegs and the covers are on bootlegs so this 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 is a release that you wait all year for it's it i want original music from the band uh, it doesn't have to be you know something that's gonna find its way onto a greatest hits album but it should be in my view it should be original there should be an original centerpiece on the album and this is gonna um be a a, a divider for us because while i agree that original is important um i'm not holding that at, at such a high marker where it it, it's where a borderline it, deal breaker for so me. and that's 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 very interesting to me it's very interesting to me and, and yeah. i completely understand your point and it does hold a lot of weight for me as well i still i don't know that there's enough of them where the song is good enough to overtake some other other entries into the catalog but for nevertheless sure. nevertheless a lovely honorable mention. Yeah. Um, just so you know, I have that at uh, number 11. Oh, okay. So, so it's also honorably mentioned for me. But nice. your number five? My actual number five is Pendulomorphosis from 2014. Now, granted, uh, we, we get Imagine, I think is the A-side. But uh, disregard that. <laughs> I mean, you get this beautiful, haunting instrumental from Jeff. And uh, as a it feels like a bookend to Lightning Bolt. Uh, I almost wish it was a secret song. I almost wish it was something that was included similar to the way like uh, Life Wasted Reprise was on Avocado or something. I mean, it, there's just something about the song that it, it deserved something on the album, I think. And, and the fact that it wasn't, to me, made it a, a beautiful, perfect selection for a, a fan club single. You know, I mean, you get that as a Christmas present, you're thinking, wow, well, this is so interesting and, and unique and different. And so that alone would have been fine. Um, imagine to me, it's just kind of like a, a little cherry on top, I guess, if that. It's not even like a fresh cherry. It's one of those like candy cherries that the, they give you. <laughs> Maraschino? You know, exactly. Yeah. I mean, nobody likes those, you know? So, hey, anyway. hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I, I love a good Manhattan and they feature prominently mm. the Maraschino cherry. I Just think give me the point whiskey. about, by the way, the thing, <laughs> yeah, no, usually I'm the same way. So the thing with that song is, I believe it was the track that the band would walk out to. It was, yeah, during that the tour. tour. So that's another fun wrinkle with that song. And mm -hmm. it, is, it is really cool by itself. I remember actually the first time I heard it, I don't think I liked it too much. I was like, what? This is this is a little weird. I was like, what? They're just taking Pendulum and they're making it like some weird restructuring. But listening back again, especially knowing that knowledge about the tour, I think I think it's pretty damn cool. The thing with, mm -hmm. with um, Imagine as played out as the song is i think it's included because the crowd is so good around it otherwise it's just your run-of-the-mill john lennon cover which mm -hmm. you know as as well as eddie does it it's like all right great it's Anyways, a one-side album for me man but it's a good side understandable understandable all right for me my number five comes from 1993. Oh. so this is gonna be your um Angel. Angel is the side A, which is a very lovely track, an original song. It's um, it's one of those that very rarely makes an appearance, um, but when it does, it's like, oh man, they're playing Angel. What? Yeah. what? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it not a um, a Dave A song with Eddie? I believe it is. I actually. think it is. I think yeah. I, I'm almost positive it was. Yeah. Now the B side to that, as cool as that song is, is it uncensored or something. What was that? 
Okay, fun wrinkle that you're bringing up. So it's um, it's called Ramblings Three, but it's basically a song called "Fuck Me in the Brain." <laughs> so, and it's from the Indio 1993 show. Great show. Uh, great show. It's they coined the phrase uh, "shoe the shoeless" when uh, at the end of the song, um, Eddie was pissed at the crowd for throwing shoes up on the stage. So he said, "You know what? We're gonna we turn things around." You know, in this band, we turn negatives into positives. We're going to donate all these shoes to charity. So thank you for the shoes. Shoe the shoeless. Better than throwing nickels yeah, or dimes or quarters. Remember that? My Jesus. God. <laughs> so those two things combined, um, I, I thought, really made it a very solid entry. Um, That's a great choice. Yeah. And it's you mentioned the uncensored thing. So at the I think it's the far, first or second line in the verse. I want, he, I want to say he says, see you next Tuesday. And they bleep that out, but they don't bleep out fuck, which is inter- inter- interesting. So there That's is bizarre. apparently um, a very small number of uncensored copies floating around this world. There's about 50,000 copies of, of the regular one floating around. Uh, so if you have an uncensored copy, then kudos to you. Gloat, gloat, gloat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, fun little nugget about Pearl Jam in India. Uh, I could be wrong about this, but I feel pretty strong that I'm not here. When they were doing Indio, that actually set the stage for what Coachella would eventually become. Oh, absolutely. And, and a lot of people don't realize that that entire festival wouldn't exist if Pearl Jam hadn't gone out there and said, hey, you know, we're going to do a show out here. And people realize that, wait a minute, you can do a show out there? Really? Yeah. People will come? <laughs> From there, Coachella was born. Number four. Number four. Okay, so <clears throat> uh, went through and... For me, number four is falling down. That's kind of coupled with the, the, the no Jeremy or the slowed down Jeremy. I don't know what you want to call this thing. Uh, yeah, this came out in 2010. So it's a 2010 fan club single. And it, it's just an absolutely fantastic track. Uh, I, I almost wish it had shown up on Backspacer. I thought it would have been a really cool inclusion. It was all, I mean, that was a really short album. I forget how it was like 45 oh, minutes or something. I have a question. Yeah. So, but falling down was also from the Red Rock show in '95. So you're saying a song that is as old as that would have found its way onto 2009 record? I wish it had. Yeah. And, and here's the reason why: they waited this long to finally release that track. Right? It, it take a track like "Of the Earth," which I think is from the Avocado era. We've yet to see that show up. Right. We've, we've heard it played live, but we've yet to see it show up on an album. I could very easily see the next album Pearl Jam does. They finally say, you know what? Let's put this one on here. Um, you know, Better Man was around for years before it found its way onto Vitology. So I think that that particular song, Falling Down, it's just the, 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 the melody in the rhythm and in the verse, it just it seems like it would have been a really nice inclusion uh, somewhere on Backspace or somewhere around like um, Big Wave or uh, Force of Nature, somewhere in, towards the end of the album. I don't Big know Wave why. Was avocado. Just, what's that? Big Wave was, was Avocado. Oh, pardon me. Um, was it? Uh, Supersonic? Supersonic, thank Force you. Force of Nature? Uh, yeah. The, the, the Stone Gossard track. So that track, Force of Nature, right in there, it feels like that'd be a nice little pocket for that track there. Um, and since they waited until that year, to bring it out, it kind of just felt like it was the type of track that Interesting. maybe they, they would have gone back into the studio and said, you know what, let's go ahead and put this thing on, a, on an album here. So I always wish that that had been the case. But either way, it, it's one of their better songs, I think, played live that never really got cut in, into a studio, as far mm. as I know. So I, I would love to hear them do that song in the studio and, and, and breathe some life onto it. All right. Well, my number four is coming from 2011. This is um, a cover of Better Things, a Kinks song, and then a version of the song Devil Doll with X. And this is from a sound check. Um, by the way, I've been doing some research here and I cannot figure out who the original artist is of Devil Doll. Do you know who it is? Devil Doll. Everything no. I search for just lists it as a song that exists. There's a band called Devil Doll. You'd think maybe they'd go like an Iron Maiden or Black Sabbath and name a song after themselves. Yeah. But you can't find it. So I don't know. Huh. So I'm sure someone knows and is like, you're an idiot, Jason. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, you're not wrong. But I don't know. But at any rate, 2011, 
Uh, better Things and Devil Doll. Yeah, so those... I just think Better Things is a really, really cool cover that it almost, I think is almost never played live, I should say. And it's a, got a great melody. It's a simple little pop rock song. And you follow it up with this, this aggressive kind of punk song and you bring in X to play it with. And this was during the sound check uh, in Curitiba, Brazil in 2011. So it was, a, it was a sound check song, which is weird because sound check songs have interesting energies where... You know, you're, you're testing the levels, but you're also playing it to an empty stadium. It's not like right. a rehearsal space. So there's a different vibe happening. Uh, when you have a live song, obviously there's that give and take with uh, energy-wise with the crowd. And here you don't get that, but you still want to know, and the sound guys still want to know what this is going to do to the audience in the venue. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting vibe with that. So that's why I've got it here at number four. The song quality to me is, is so high. And the two of them are quality enough to uh, to put it in number four. That's a good selection there. What do you got for number three? All right, batting third. Uh, Turning Mist. It's a uh, it, it's a beautiful track. Uh, we see Turning Mist show up in in twenty and nine. Uh, sorry, two thousand nine twenty nine. <laughs> two thousand and nine. And I'm trying to remember the other track on here. It was at uh, Hawaii seventy eight. Yes, Hawaii seventy eight. Um, which whatever I mean, it's, it's actually a pr- pr- pretty fun little cover there. But uh, uh, "Turny Mist" itself, I thought was just a gem of a track. It, it's melodic, it's beautiful. You get a rare uh, mic vocal appearance. It is a wonderful kind of insight into the man's talent as a musician that we don't get a lot of in Pearl Jam's music. Um, you know, whether you're a fan of Mad Season. Or, uh, you know, you love Mike on Temple of the Dog, or you think he's the secret weapon whenever you go see a Pearl Jam show. He kind of has his place in the band, um, and it's very musically driven. I mean, I, I think a song um, like Inside Job is, is, is one of his finest, but this particular song here is just a pure showcase for Mike, and uh, it, it's just a touching track. I thought it was really beautiful. You know, if, if we can get Mankind... On no code, why can't we get turning mist on Gigaton? <laughs> right? I mean, uh, I don't know, man. It's it, it, a really solid track. I gotta uh, tip the hat to Mike McCready. So this is your number three. Yeah, this might be the biggest disagreement we're ever gonna have. Hmm. Maybe, maybe greater than Dance of the Clairvoyance because oh I appreciate Mike singing, and I thought he did better than I remember him doing on this song. The song itself, to me, is average doesn't strike me as anything as anything um, super creative or super unique. I appreciate that it's a new song. It's an original on on the uh, on the record, on the single. But then it's complete. Whatever it has going for it is completely weighted down by maybe the worst cover I've ever heard the band do. <laughs> Hawaii seventy eight could not be more boring. It was done in Honolulu in two thousand nine, and it's big crowd reaction to it. Great. <laughs> it's that's like if you play uh, New York, New York at the Garden. It's like you're playing to the crowd here. So it doesn't do that song does not do anything for me, and so it completely weighs it down. It's actually my fourth to worst out of 27 fan club singles. It's at 24. I, I so, do not begrudge not digging Hawaii 78, but I mean, there is a, a lot of folks don't really turning. It's a Christmas song. I mean, don't feel the Christmas without you. All the lights have turned to gray. Hey, they have some good little Christmas it, ditties. And it, I, it, but this, it's a beautiful, I don't know. It's a, I hear you. It's fine. It's not, it's not blowing me out of the water. Well, that's I, all right. Fine. But again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this more from a complete package situation. And the fact that Hawaii 78 for me is so bad it just drags that thing down under the mist and under the undertow and just sitting at the <laughs> bottom of the ocean. No pun intended. Yeah. All right. So for me, my third ranked uh, fan club single comes from 2012. Uh, this is going to be the All Night in the Moonlight AB. Now, mm-hmm. both of these tracks come from the Pearl Alpine, Gen 20 right? yep, uh, party in Alpine uh, Valley in uh, Wisconsin. All Night features Joseph Arthur, Liam Finn, and Glenn Hansard on backing vocals. And In the Moonlight features Josh Holm. And the In the Moonlight version is 
fantastic. The energy is so much oh, greater great. than it's, than the um, you know the, the 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 cut you hear on Lost Dogs mm-hmm. for me. And then you've got All Night, which you know they've played a decent amount of time since it came out in Lost Dogs, but they only truly did it great when they had backup singers. I think there's a tour. I want to say it was the 09 tour, but I'm probably wrong. Where uh, Corinne Tucker's band, Slater Kinney, opened for them, and he had the the, the band uh, backup sing, and it sounded great. And so here he's got three dudes singing behind him, and it sounds great. So I thought the two of those tracks together, plus you have the energy from the anniversary show, the 20 year anniversary show in Alpine Valley, it's the crowd's just going crazy. I think those two combined just sets the bar so high, and it's just a great. I know it's not original, original, and there's live cuts, but the live cuts feature some interesting musicians, and the quality is very high. So there you go. Uh, I think that's a great choice, man. I mean, in the moonlight, I'm a big fan of the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, All night's a lot of fun, so I, I, I can, I'm completely with you. Yes, they are live covers, but you know what? Up until that point, we had never received a live version of In the Moonlight. So to, to, to finally get that, I thought was, was pretty special. So. And oh, by the way, those two, to, to my knowledge, those two shows are not available as official bootlegs. So it's not it's, like it's you can, you already baby. have, That's what <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's one of yeah. those things with a lot of these tracks is, especially in the nineties, you don't have official soundboard cuts of some of these live songs. No, so, you, don't. you know, Smile comes out and was it 97 and it's like, all right, but you know, you don't have a soundboard quality of that song. So right. it's like that that's clutch that elevates the whole thing. So there you mm-hmm. go. For sure. Well right, done. Well done. So I almost went with the same one actually here. Uh I opted not to, but uh but I I really like that pick. I really like that pick. So for me number 2 is Santa Cruz. Um there's a few different reasons for that. But if if you look at that release came out in uh let's see 2008. Yes. And uh, let's see, flip side on B. Golden State. Golden State, which Featuring is also Chris Tucker. Yeah, it's also a really good, really good song. Um, Santa Cruz, I thought, was just a, a great road trip song. You know, growing up in San Francisco, we used to take a trip to Santa Cruz every summer when I was a kid. And it was always to the boardwalk, and we'd stay there for, I think, uh, two nights. So the first day, was always hanging out on the beach. And then uh, we, the next day, we would do the boardwalk, and then the evening in the boardwalk, and then go home the next day. And so, it, it, it there's a personal nostalgia when I listen to the song. It's a fantastic road trip song. Like you put that on, and you just imagine yourself driving down the 17, going south, and it just feels like you are you're in a convertible, and the wind's through your hair, and it's beautiful outside and the redwoods are, are glorious and extending themselves up to the heavens. It's a fine track and I think it captures a mood. And I, um, as an original, I thought it was really unique in that respect. So I appreciated it. So for me, that's number two. That's the type of song that I would actually put on a playlist. And I can't say that about really? a lot of the fan club singles. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, this song to me is, it's very cute and it's very... Um, you say road trip, and I was gonna say like campfire, but it's like the same kind of that vibe. Too, sure. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And and it's only been played twice, by the way. Uh-huh. One was at a bridge benefit, and once the other time was in Telluride, which mm-hmm. I believe is the only time they've ever played Telluride. And he actually changes the this the lyrics instead of saying uh, Santa Cruz, I think he says Colorado or Telluride or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, so I think that's a, a it's a it's a quality song. It's a it's it's like mid table for me, it's good, but it's mid table for me. That's fair. Uh, my number two, I think it, it kind of boils down to star power at number two for me. Is this a Chris Cornell appearance? <laughs> it is not. It is not. Oh, okay. um, I, it might be a little stock. It might be a little obvious, but I'm going to go with 1998, and that is Soldier of Love, Last Kiss. The, okay. you know, that was Last Kiss being a cover and. Uh, Soldier of Love being I think it's another cover actually it is let me pull it up here who did it who did it Uh, Arthur Alexander cover and that's a live cut from 98 in uh, DC in Last Kiss uh, as a cover like I said but that cover of Last Kiss became I think their highest single it was a hit yeah I don't know how long it was I forget but it was such a big song and it elevated everything 
it became a staple in the in the set list mm-hmm. and in because it became so big and so popular and people who even didn't like Pearl Jam were like oh this is a great Pearl Jam song I go it's a cover it's not one of theirs but thank you for listening to Pearl Jam <laughs> you know people forget about Soldier of Love which I think is a very lovely little ditty I think it's a it great is. little song you know the, the, thing, the thing that doesn't bring it higher than that of, of course is that despite being really good songs they are both covers uh-huh. and so that kind of that kind of dragged it down a little bit and which is why it's not number one for me but uh, yeah that's uh, what I got that's solid. Yeah, I mean, if they weren't both covers, I'd, I'd feel very differently about them. I loved that that cover of uh, Last Kiss. I mean, it was you know what it is though? exceptional. The thing with Last Kiss is it they've made it their song at this point. That's such an old song. I don't know who else has, has covered it. I'm sure someone has, but it's such an iconically now Pearl Jam song. You have a like, good point man, there. How good? You have a good. Point. How good of a song does it have to be? Or recording does it have to be that? Now people think that a song that isn't yours is yours. Right. You know? What was the Everly Brothers one they did, too? Uh, uh, Sleepless Nights. Sleepless Nights, yeah, yeah. With, uh, uh, with that's, that's a beautiful track, too. Yeah. That was well done. That's not my number one, but that was a good one. What is your number one? Very good question, Jason. Thank you. Drum roll, please. Um, <laughs> uh, my number one is, is Someday Christmas. Oh, yeah. Ed is, I have to be honest with you, that is a legitimately fantastic Christmas song. It's on all my Christmas mixes. It's it's the type of song where it it's fun, it's charming, it's uh, it, it, there's a comfort flair to it. Uh, it there's a childlike innocence to it, but not in a cynical way. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of songs sometimes where I feel like Eddie is he's making a statement with these types of things. And I don't feel like that song does that. You listen to it and it's it's just honest. You know what I mean? And you look at some of the other Christmas songs like Santa God and Let Me Sleep and, and you know that that great uh, Jingle Bells riff breakdown. And those are all fantastic too and I, and I love those during the holidays, but someday at Christmas like if I had to make a Christmas mix and it had Bing Crosby on it and you know all, all these different great acts I would actually take this song and put it on there I mean it it to me it actually holds up with some of the better Christmas songs over the last 30 or 40 or even wow. 50 years it's, it's a really great Christmas track to me. get out of here Eartha Kit. Yo, look, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying Dean Martin, Frank, and Bing got to take a back seat to Eddie here, but I do feel that if you were to put together a Christmas album, that there's no shame in putting this track on there, man. I mean, it's not going to feel like an oddball or, or that, you know, oh, you're just a Pearl Jam fan, that's why you're putting this on there. I think it's a legitimately fantastic Christmas song. And so it's a Christmas, it used to be called the Christmas single. I know. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Here they came out with an original great Christmas song, and and to me it's iconic for that reason alone. So it it clearly takes a number one for me because that was what these always were intended to be. They became something very different over the years, but uh, the original intention behind these releases, this is the one that really nailed it. You know, really hit it out of the park for me. You make a great point uh, in that the original intent was to be a Christmas they called it a, a Christmas single they did and then it became a holiday single and then it became the fan club single but to originally the point being a little gift from the band at Christmas time it was their Christmas gift to us you now it, it does and that one is the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> <laughs> you, may, you make a great point and it makes me kind of rethink where that one lies in my table here oh um, but point well made and I'm not going to complain cool now for me, my number one, you actually already mentioned it. Oh. It is 2010, and that is the live cuts from Red Rocks. Okay. Falling Down and No yeah. Jeremy. The This is a show that um, is still not uh, soundboard quality available. Okay? Nope. So the best audience recording is what we have out there. Uh, if, you're, if you have a live catalog like I do and you do. Um, so we have these soundboard quality and it was maybe the third time that they ever played the no Jeremy, the slow down mm-hmm. Jeremy version out of, I believe six total times that they've played it. And this, this song falling down, like you mentioned before, to my knowledge has never been played since. It it's hasn't only been played the one time. Yeah. 
And the speculation that I've read is it's it's an abortion song that kind of hit close to home with Eddie, and that's, the, that's what it's about. And so it was hard for him to kind of feel up enough to play it again, it is what I've heard. But nevertheless, as you said before, it's a fantastic song by itself. I wish they would put it somewhere and put it together. It'd be a great album closer. It'd be fantastic. It and really would. I do think the the novelty of No Jeremy and the reception it got at Red Rocks was just so good. And the fact that, like I said, both are soundboard, for me, as a package deal, 2010 is just tremendous. It's pretty darn solid. I'm with you on there. It's funny you mentioned it. I, I didn't know that it was a, an abortion song. That's, I want to say... Uh, Kitchen wearing candy bars off of Stone Temple Pilots Purple. I think during the VH1 Storytellers show, Scott Weiland mentioned that, that that song was essentially, you know, his girlfriend had decided to to get an abortion without telling him. And so that, that whole song was about oh, wow. not feeling involved in that process. Mm. And uh, it was, it's one of my favorite album closers. And I, it's one of my favorite SDP songs ever, actually. But... It would. It, I could totally see this track ending an album at some point. So, right. in the same way, you know, hard to imagine. Could one day, so. Yeah, I wonder if it just, for any number of reasons, why it just didn't feel right at, at each album's, you know, closing point. Do we, do we sure. bring this to the table? Do we not? And you know, you make a good point about Better Man taking five, six years to make its yeah you never debut know. and. Who knows? I mean, who knows? There was there was a Reddit AMA a couple months back where Stone. Mentioned someone asked Stone about of the Earth and or maybe it was a mic, and they said, um, you know, it wasn't brought up during these sessions to record it, but you never know. I love the song and it could totally use the uh, the treatment of the of the studio. So you kind of mm-hmm. left it open, yeah, so maybe. And then that that's that song is what fourteen years old, so. right? All right, good list. Um, and that actually begs the question: um, What if they didn't stop making fan club singles? So here we are. What if the band didn't stop making fan club singles and and you know opening it up bigger? Why did they stop in the first place? Well, yeah, you know the, the press release never truly explained this, and, and I was at a loss. I mean, granted, I wasn't thoroughly excited with many of the ones that they had released, but there were some good ones in recent years, and it was always something I look forward to. I mean, it'd be like February, March, and I'm like, where's my fan club single? You know what I mean? Yep. You get to the point where you want it, you know? But the, the releases became so erratic. It got to the point where you were getting your, your holiday single, your fan club single, in like July of the following year. So for whatever reason, they just were no longer invested in this process. And I think that they, they killed the enthusiasm behind it. It was pretty clear that they didn't want to do it anymore. And because it was taking so long, I feel like that the enthusiasm behind it kind of waned and you just, it just became this thing that slowly died. And I think that if, if they were to go back and redo this, what if they hadn't stopped? I would have hoped that they got together in a room one day and they said, all right, a little bit of a state of the union here. Let's have a conversation about these fan club releases because we've been phoning it in and mailing it in for a while here. Um, and and that, that's not me saying, you know, the selections are crap. I'm not a huge fan of all of them, but I mean, every performance that they provided us was in, 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 you know, injected with enthusiasm and excitement. So I feel like they, they carefully curated these to their best abilities, at least with how they wanted it to be. It's not like they gave us garbage versions of songs, but at the same time, um, there was no continuity with it anymore. You know, it just felt random. So I'd like to think that they could have sat down and said, let's go back to what this was supposed to be. Let's, let's center it around the holidays. Um, it doesn't have to be Christmas. You know what I mean? It just has to feel holiday centric. And I think that the whole political angle with the band, they just got away from, it probably no longer felt politically correct to write a Christmas song at that point. I don't know, but uh, if fine, if it's just going to be a fan club single, then just give us uh, something from the cutting room floor. You know what I mean? You always hear all, all this stuff that's just there. I'm not a musician in the way that they are, where I, I'm sitting here thinking, oh man, you know, I, I could never just release this 
unfinished thing. You know what I mean? It's almost like a, it's a painting that I never actually finished. Why the heck am I going to put it out there in the public? I get that. But at the same time, fans adore this band and it's a fan club single. You know what I mean? So nobody's picking this up right. unless you're actively looking for it and you, and you just, you're just soaking in new music. So I wish that it would have been more original stuff instead of, uh, instead of covers. So I would like to think, what if they didn't stop it in 2019, uh, that they would sit down in the room, they would coalesce around the idea that they're going to produce an original song. Um, God, uh, what was it? Can't deny me. Uh, Olay. Those are both examples of songs that yeah. could have been fan club singles. Yeah. I'm not a fan of either one of them, but they would have been perfectly fine to release them in that capacity. Well, the, the last, I believe the last original song they had as a, as a fan club, release was turning mist and that was 2009 mm-hmm. so i mean like you said they probably didn't feel up to do it i wonder if it was keeping them from being fresh or thinking fresh or if it was doing the opposite you know it was clearly an obligation you know that they put off that they didn't want to deal with and that's why you were getting them in july <laughs> well not only that but that's why probably you were getting a bunch of covers and live takes i mean i think one of them was it 20 where is it 2016 the side a was a sound check of a live from rock and roll hall of fame it's like the only thing cool about that is that dave cruzen's on the drums that's it right it's a nice throwback so, there's certain, yeah, there's some of these releases are just like, well, we got to find something. And it's like, to a degree, I, I get what you're saying. You, there's not so much to pull from. But then again, you could make a concerted effort to bring it back to the holidays and bring it back to Christmas. And it's not on PC to write a song about Christmas. There are plenty yeah. of people who celebrate Christmas and you can write sure. a song about anything. But it's just, it, there are plenty of opportunities to find to find good material. I mean, look at the um, the Pearl Jam at Wrigley film. So they show them on the rooftop of Murphy's Bleachers, yeah, rehearsing, dicking around, yeah, and we hear them watch them play Black, Red, Yellow. That's fucking cool, man. Exactly. How many other songs were they dicking around with up there that just have this cool little campfire vibe because they weren't playing fully um, electric? You know, boom. There's some tracks right there. You know, there's probably a whole bunch of live cuts with weird artists that we haven't seen in a long time. That's just a really cool version of a song. I think I'm pretty sure there's a version of them playing Black Diamond with Ace Freely. And yeah, it's probably That's available great. on one of the bootlegs, but maybe maybe somebody doesn't have that. You know, not, not everybody finds a way to get every single release because that's like at least ten dollars a pop. And if you if you go the you know legit route, it's a lot of right. money. Mm-hmm. So if you're spending $40 a year on the fan club and they can give you a really cool version of Black Diamond with Ace Freely, thank you very much. Give it to me. I'm with you there. I don't I don't understand. So it's not like there isn't opportunity there to pull from your vault, which is extensive. And oh, by the way, Stone mentioned in his, um, was it a, some Q&A thing. Oh, it was the it was the serious XM track by track. I don't know how you. somebody doesn't ask him that every time he does an AMA. It's so... Like, <laughs> They, they ask him about the sessions from Gigaton. He's like, oh, we got millions of masterpieces. Quote, millions of masterpieces. What does that really mean? Who knows? But add that to the fact that somebody asked him about, you know, a possible second part to Gigaton or another Lost Dogs because of all this extra material that's been floating around for the last 15 years. And he goes, oh, that'd be a great idea. It's like, dude. <laughs> so you've got stuff. Yeah. We, got, we got one of my favorite um, live covers that they did was 2005's Little Sister with Robert Plant. You couldn't get this this cut on a, from a soundboard because it was a benefit a Hurricane Katrina benefit show that was not record not released officially. So that's cool. But then the fucking B side is a demo of Gone from the Borgata Hotel. Like, why do I care about that? Gone, right, average song as it is, in my opinion. And you give me a demo version of it. Like, I don't care about that. Th- there's opportunity here, but the, like you said, they probably just don't feel. It's just upsetting because. You know, they're getting older. We have seven years between albums here. Yeah. Those things become almost the anchors that keep you afloat for half a decade. Yeah. I'm sorry, what are I paying $40 a year for? You know, that's a really damn good point. Like, they're they're charging you for a membership. You know what I mean? And and I'm not saying you get nothing for it. You get a great t shirt, and they're killer t shirts most of the time. They're great t shirts. You you get a bootleg. I'm, I'm with you there. 
but at the same time, it's like, all right, man. I mean, it, but, but what I really excited about was the music. Like we, we we're fans because you make music and you're great people and, and we adore you and what you stand for. And, Give I mean, us music. Last October, they tweeted something, or I think it's Instagram too, where they were teasing some release. And I was like, oh, what's this going to be? This is before we knew anything about Gigaton, right? Mm-hmm. And so they teased this thing. And then the next day, it's like, hey, get your 2019 Pearl Jam Halloween shirt. It's like, are you kidding me? Why do I care about a Halloween t shirt? And why are you promoting it and teasing it like it's something special? Right. Come on, guys. I mean, I've been in the 10 club since 2002 and I have a pretty good number and I get pretty good seats. And the reason why I keep that is primarily because of, of live shows. But here's the thing is like, while I've made an effort the last few years to actually fly to shows, that's not always feasible for many, many people. And if they're not coming to your area that often, then you're paying for a t-shirt. I I don't know what you're getting. So this little nugget, this little star on the Christmas tree to bring it back to Christmas. It's like, it seems like something that wouldn't take a lot of effort really to put something out, especially given the quality of some of the things. I think actually the 2000s was a worse decade overall than the 2010s. But nevertheless, oh, that's just, come on. I'm with you. I am with you. Come on, guys. Come on. <laughs> Mike, Ed, Jeff, Matt. Boom. <laughs> oh, man. Give me give me a wasted reprise that's just boom, like for like 10 minutes where he goes off with like a solo. <laughs> Fine. I mean, it's Maybe, better than you know, nothing, give me right? a little, Give me a little something. There's got to be stuff out there. You know what's going to happen? Not to go on. Uh, we're going on a long time here. But last point for me is – you know how bands who are just past, they haven't put out music in forever. You know, you have like the right. remastered series of albums that came out 45 years ago. They're, they're playing Canoctai Harbor. <laughs> you know, yeah. You got, you got like, you know, bands like Aerosmith and ACDC and, and Led Zeppelin and Beatles. They're just re-releasing remasters and like new uh-huh. box sets that feature like, you know, John Lennon taking a dump as the bonus track. Like <laughs> yeah, stuff that doesn't matter, really. Except for nerds like us. Like, oh no, they've got like, on a third demo of Gone, I'm all in for this re-release. You know, <laughs> that's going to happen when, when we're like 70 years old. When the band's long gone, they're going to keep on pushing this crap out. But like now, there's stuff. I will now. buy it, Jason. As will I. <laughs> that's how effing crazy we are. They know they have us. I know. We. They know. All right. Soapbox descending. All right. We've got a lyric of the week to get to. We do have a lyric of the week to get to. All right, so this uh, this week's lyric of the week comes from Avocado, and it comes from Unemployable. Paul, um, you chose... You chose a lyric set this week that feels apropos of how a lot of the nation feels. It's uncertain in a lot of different ways. And it's just like looking, reaching for just help to get through something. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. Um, I feel like there's been, I hate to call it a divide because this is a time where everybody needs to realize that we, we, we really are as cliche as it sounds all in this together. The difference is that in prior national tragedies or, or um, pandemic, I don't know pandemic's the wrong word, but national matters of urgency, uh, 9-11 was the most recent one, right? And so you have these moments in American history and people come together, but, the difference is that you could go outside, man, and go to a restaurant. You could go see a concert. You could, <laughs> you could go to the mall. I mean, there's so many things that we've been told we cannot do. We should not do. If we're going to do it, we got to stay six feet apart. And I'm just in a weird place where I'm trying to make sense of it all. Because on one hand, 
I am fully in support of um, protecting society's most vulnerable citizens. That, 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 that is paramount. That is non-negotiable. It's something that has to be discussed and taken into consideration and enacted to make sure that that happens. However, there's also millions of other people that are being both directly and indirectly affected by all of the necessary social distancing and quarantining and lockdown that we've been initiating over the last couple of months. And I look at this lyric and I see Eddie describe, he's telling us a story. Now the story that uh, permeates this song when it was written has taken on a very new meaning for me now. I, I don't, I no longer read this song as a, as a man who's disillusioned, who's, you know, kind of lost his way, who's, realizing that his life is just a big sacrifice and he's kind of looking at and saying, did I piss my life away? You know, was this a dream that had to die for me now? I can easily draw connections to what so many of us are dealing with, you know, the curse of bills piling up and not having a job to go to, to pay for it. I'm lucky. I mean, I, I teach and, and I, I was able to do that via zoom and I continue to get paid. Not everyone was as fortunate as I am. My wife was furloughed. So, I mean, we're a one-income household right now for that reason. And, I mean, I'll be honest, you know, that they're like eight or nine grand behind on unemployment payments to us. Uh, we have yet to see that stuff. There's a weird snafu going on where she just hasn't been able to get those payments. So, basically, we've been a one-income household since March. Which, and I'm not saying cry me a river because there's probably folks listening to this that have it a hell of a lot harder than I do. But you read these lyrics and you think about this and it just kind of, it begs the question, at, one, at what point in time are we going to start really looking at this as, as a more, for, from a broader stroke and say, okay, we really can't make decisions that are purely tunnel vision. You know what I mean? We really have to start expanding the scope of this tunnel and start thinking about the broader picture here and say, okay, how can we address all of this in the most pragmatic way possible? And I am not suggesting that I have all the answers, but what I do know is that uh, we did an entire podcast on uh, Pearl Jam protest songs and, and George Floyd and all of that. And it's just amazing how so many folks were just, just, I mean, to the point where they were, they were borderline oppressive the way that they would like give you a sideways glance if you were two and a half feet away from them, or I'm sorry, pardon me, 10 and a half feet away from them walking across the street, mask or no mask. And yet you have all these protests going on for, for Black Lives Matter, as we should be having. And those very same folks are there arm in arm with, with their brothers and, and, and supporting this amazing, beautiful cause. And it's almost like, well, <laughs> so it's all about quarantine and social distancing until we got to go protest. And then all that just goes out the window. And then now we're back on track and, and let's go back to this again. It's like, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know what I mean? It's so, and now we're sitting around wait, wondering, are we going to have a spike because of that? And it, I don't know. It's the whole situation is just a just hot mess to me. And this particular lyric, I think personifies the frustration of just being there in the home, being weighed down by, a situation you don't feel like you can control and coping with it. And, and, and the, the, the speaker in the song lights a cigarette. He's grown to hate. He's coping in a way that he's not proud of. It's not the way he wants to deal with this. He can't sleep. Uh, you know, how is he ever going to dream? And that's all that people want. They just want to live. You know what I mean? We want to get back to living again, but how do you do that safely uh, in a way that's considerate? Again, I'm not, suggesting there's I have a, all the answers and I hate being the guy. Yeah. You I know? hate being the there's guy so that's like, questions. I'm just going to point out all the problems and not suggest any solutions. Cause that's not productive. But at the same time, th this is a conversation that everybody wants to talk about the folks that are, are, are affected and afflicted, but nobody wants to talk about the success stories and the, the rate of recovery. Nobody wants to talk about how all this can be done in a way that's sensitive, but both pragmatic. It's just one extreme or the other full scale reopen or, you know, and, and all the dangers that come with that, or we got to go back down to quarantine and lockdown. Is there, are there any roads in between? So I don't know. This is uh, this song spoke to me for that reason. The trouble that, that people have that who make decisions is, you know, they, they have to weigh that they have to find that road um, between 
between, you know, I don't want to say both sides, but you know, there's, as you said, there's the, the, the life, the health of people. And then there's the financial health in life that people have. And I don't envy these people who, have, who make these decisions at all. Nor do and, I. And so when, when the media talks about, you know, life and death, the most obvious thing that comes to people's minds is literal death. And so that's what kind of steers the conversation. And if you only have so much time in a day, how many, how many times can you update people with information about this kind of thing? And then where do you, where do you shift the conversation to the other part of the equation? As mm -hmm. you've mentioned, yeah. I don't, I don't envy anybody in media. I don't envy anybody in, in politics has to make these decisions there's so much, and it coming back to these lyrics, there's so much that we don't know trying to make decisions that will best affect everybody. And you got this person in this song who is doing everything they can to keep their head above water. And it feels like that's what we are doing as a country is everyone is trying to get information and where are you getting it from? Is it the right information? I don't know. I think it's right, but then there's this information over here. And so we're all kind of trying to, to swim. And right. some people have a life preserver and some people don't. Some people have a boat. And yeah. it's like, there's all this. And it's, I mean, the mental health thing over the last three or four months, I can tell you from personal experience, I know plenty of friends who have had fluctuations with this. I'm uh -huh. sure you guys ha have had this as well. And so to have these lyrics kind of, I, to be honest, I haven't listened to this song in a while. So listening to the song again, it's like, wow. Yeah. It, it, in this song was written before the, the 2008 recession. Right. So there are, there's always been parts of this country who have had this, this coping and this uncertainty and this stress of life and just trying to, I mean, how about people in the middle of the country whose closest hospital is forever away and they have shitty insurance and their mm -hmm. copays out the window, you know? Or they lost their health insurance. Exactly. <laughs> they were furloughed exactly. or, or, I mean, and they don't even have it anymore. And, and that kind of shit was happening even before COVID. And now you have mm -hmm. that on top of this. So th this song takes on a whole new meaning in this situation because you can kind of broaden its scope to many more people, which is the sad, sad thing. So I think you've right. picked a, an excellent lyric for this, for this week. And uh, I'm looking forward to your live cut of the week. Ready to stand up! So this live cut comes from Live at the Gorge. Right, It's an iconic set, iconic show, iconic release. And, uh, you know, if, if you look at that particular box set, which, uh, and it, by the way, if you don't have that box set, I can't encourage you enough to go out and get it. It's very good. Uh, it is exceptional. Uh, it's the band's 2005 and 2006 shows at the Gorge Amphitheater in George Washington. And if you pick this up, I think what's, what's first of all, I mean, it actually debuted at number 36 on the, the Billboard 200 chart, which just, I mean, it, it was a legitimately like iconic release, I think for, for Pearl Jam as, as far as live albums are concerned, but you got 69 individual songs performed during these two, these two performances here. And it's in a tremendous set. It, it's an iconic performance of this song. I say that because it was part of a great set and they decided to feature it in that set amongst the many songs they had in the catalog at the time. And for whatever reason, I mean, they, they, they were really locked in on that night. And uh, the performance of the song, I think, is one of the strongest. It is, to me, the strongest of this particular track that I've ever heard of all the versions of it that I own and have heard. And so for me, it's a standout version of the track, and it's the best live version I, I can possibly recommend you hear. All right. July 22nd, 2006 in George Washington.
choice. The band was very tight. The crowd was amazing, as you would expect from The Gorge. And that song, every time I listen to that song, I always kind of come back to, uh, I don't even remember, in 2006, they played uh, at Letterman. And they I played a remember. concert, like maybe like a 12-song concert after the taping of the show. And they streamed it online. And at the end of the song, when they played Unemployable, Ed goes, you know, someone once asked me, is it scared of life or scared alive? And he goes, no, it's, it's scared alive. And I was like, because I, I was kind of like unsure what he was saying. I thought he was saying scared alive, but I wasn't sure. So when he, when he confirmed that and that random chance that I was watching, I said, wow. And so now I think I always think about that moment when I listen to the song. And I'm, now in this context, with this live cut, with this lyric of the week, it's like, that couldn't be a more fitting phrase for so many, too many people across this, across the world. Uh, I, I think I can, I'm not being crazy to say it, the world. So very applicable. And um, thank you for choosing that one, Paul. I just got just to follow up on that. Even if you, even the misinterpreted version of that lyric, scared of life. <laughs> not good either. Not good. Not good either. And, and, and you're looking at, uh, at a lot of folks that are, are so insulated right now to the point where it's almost like, I, I mean, I, you could, you could literally say that there are some folks that are more afraid of, of life than they are of COVID. I mean, it just, just, just to go out there and live could potentially bring you this disease yeah. to the point where it's like, okay, well, but, but what are you sacrificing? And again, I'm not saying just complete utter disregard for, for all the recommended health uh, protocols here. Uh, so please don't misunderstand. Where's me, the but, avenue is the question. But exactly. Where, there, there has to be a path that we can take that that's a bit more pragmatic than one extreme or the other. And, uh, you know, um, I'm hoping that we find that soon because uh, as, as the song says, you know, um, I've seen the light, right? So I, I, I hope we see the light sooner rather than later. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, we will be with you next week. And until then, you are listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.